Welcome to Immigrants Journeys. Imagine leaving your home country to settle in a foreign land. What would that feel like? How would you make that transition? And how might that experience change? The guests on this show share their perspectives and opinions related to their immigrant journey. Listen to find out what challenges they overcame and how they made the transition. This episode, an eight-year-old boy flees communist Cuba with his family to eventually settle in the United States. His journey, however, took an unexpected detour through another country. This boy grew up and made multiple careers, including the U.S. Army, entrepreneur, and pharmaceutical manufacturing. Learn how a young immigrant found his way through life's struggles and succeeded despite having arrived in a foreign land with little more than the clothes he was wearing. This episode contains snippets in Spanish. I'm interested to hear your reaction to multilingual content and how I might improve this podcast. Feel free to reach out with your comments and feedback. This episode intro song from Celia Cruz is called Cuando Salí de Cuba, When I Left Cuba. The song laments leaving her heart and her soul behind. It's a song I grew up with. At family get-togethers and parties, when this song came on, conversations slowly hushed. People closed their eyes and swayed as they sang along. By the end of the song, there are many tears followed by hugs and then dancing to other songs. I think the sentiment and lyrics in this song capture that special place in many immigrants' hearts that is reserved for the homeland. To learn more about this podcast, visit www.immigrantsjourneys.fm. Now, let's listen to Fabio's journey. Hola, Fabio. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Fabio left Cuba when he was a young boy during a tense period of the Cold War. I was eight years and three months when I left Cuba. But I still have vivid memories of it. We left in uh, December of 1967. The Cold War was still going on. There was still a lot of tensions between Cuba, the United States, and Soviet Union. Today, Fabio works mostly with Americans and doesn't speak a lot of Spanish outside of the family. Nevertheless, I asked him to switch between English and Spanish during our conversation. In ese tiempo, uh, uno tiene que darse cuenta que uh, la Unión Soviética estaba en cargo de Cuba y en ese tiempo lo que se llamaba eh, la Guerra Fría estaba uh, ocurriendo. Así que los Estados Unidos y Cuba y Rusia no se, no se estaban llevando. Tenía ocho años. La verdad es que no me acuerdo cuando mis padres empezaron el proceso de salir de Cuba. Pero uh, en ese tiempo no se podía salir de Cuba a los Estados Unidos. Y mi, mi papá quería salir, venir a los Estados Unidos. Pero mi abuelo nació en España. Tenía familia en España. Tenía propiedad en España. Y pudimos salir por España... Uh, y salimos en el 1967. No nos podemos quedar en España porque en ese tiempo España no estaba aceptando inmigrantes. Uh, podíamos ir allá temporariamente. El tiempo definitivo no sabía si era un año o lo que sea. Pero de todas maneras, teníamos familia en Estados Unidos y mis padres pudieron solicitar la ayuda de, de un tío 
que nos uh, pidió la, la visa de, de España a los Estados Unidos. Y en el 1968 nos dieron la visa y pudimos migrar a, a, a este país. Witnessing the effects of communism firsthand influenced Fabio throughout his life. I do remember several different things. I don't understand why people are so enamored with communism and socialism because my experiences were not good. I was young when my parents were pretty much kicked out of their homes, out of their jobs. I was like two years old because my dad would not join the Communist Party. But I do remember as a kid being segregated in different parts of the school because we were not communists. We were not able to participate in certain play activities because we were not communists. We sat in the back of the class because we were not communists. And we would get beat more in school. There was corporal punishment in our school. It seemed to me that we would get more beatings than the communist kids. Así que las personas que no eran comunistas uh, fueron tratados distinto a, a las personas que fueron uh, uh, parte del Partido Comunista. Mis padres decidieron no hacerse comunistas y por eso perdieron la casa. Mi padre perdió su trabajo. Tuvimos que mudarnos con mis abuelos y no teníamos derechos como los que eran parte del Partido Comunista. Uh, eso fue evidente en, en, la, en, la, en la manera en que nos trataban en la escuela, que nos trataban a nosotros en la comunidad. Y yo me acuerdo de, no nos trataban no igual en las escuelas. Nos, nos sentábamos en la parte de atrás de las clases. En ese tiempo, cuando un muchacho se portaba mal, pues le podían pegar. Y yo me di cuenta de que a los muchachos que no eran comunistas le pegaban más que a esos que, que sí eran comunistas. Cuando era tiempo de jugar, una cosa que yo me acuerdo... Teníamos tiempo en la escuela que uno podía ir a jugar. Los que eran comunistas podían jugar y los otros que no eran los sentaban a otra parte de, de, de recreo que no podíamos uh, participar en, en esas actividades. Por el comunismo y, y por parte del comunismo era la uh, economía. Como nosotros no, no éramos parte del partido, el partido es, el, es lo que le llamaban uh, los miembros del, del, del Partido Comunista. Como no éramos miembros del partido, pues no teníamos el derecho a, a los trabajos, a habitaciones. A... La manera de uno vivir era distinto. Era como dos clases de personas. Era la clase del partido y la clase que no era del partido. Y, y los trataban distinto. Así que no había oportunidad para las personas que no eran parte del partido. Y por eso mis padres decidieron, bueno, va. Vamos a otro lugar donde nos, nos aceptan. What was it like for an eight-year-old kid in communist Cuba, I wondered? What was normal? When we walk around the cities, you would always see the military police, and they were not particularly friendly. There was a couple of times where we would see military operations in our town, where they would set up shop in a corner or something for a little bit. As a kid, you see guns on the streets, and you're like, wow, that's really cool. But then later on, you find out why they were there. And it's not so nice. It was a show of force to show people, if you step out of line, we will take care of you in not a very nice way. 
Fabio recounts a particularly shocking example of political persecution in his homeland. If you want a really strong memory, I do remember my mom and my sister and I were in a bus and we were going somewhere. I do remember this one man uh, speaking not very nicely about Fidel Castro. So the bus driver, being a devout communist, he closed the door, drove in front of the military police station. This is all they had. We didn't have civilian police force at the time. We just had military police. And I don't know what he said to those guys, but I do remember military police coming out, dragging this man out in the streets, beating him. I remember watching him through the window. To this day, I remember this vividly, like it happened yesterday. He hit his head on the curb. He started bleeding a little bit, and then they drug him inside of that police station. So as a kid, I'm thinking to myself, if they were willing to do this to this guy on the streets in front of the public where everybody could see it, what are they doing to him inside? That set the tone for me as far as being very anti-communist and very anti-just one-party rule in any society where you have a dictatorship that can rule and tell you what to do, when to do it, how to do it. No, no different than happening in Hitler's Germany or you name it, Mao's China. All kinds of different absolute dictatorships that don't take the best interest of the population. Those are some of the things that I remember as a child. Fidel Castro and the Communist Party took over Cuba in 1959, the year Fabio was born. Fabio's family had few options since his father refused to join the Communist Party. His family had been waiting for an exit visa nearly all of Fabio's life. My dad lost his job, lost his house, lost his livelihood only because he thought differently than the people in power. They left because there was nothing for us there. There was no chance of progression. There was no chance to do good for his family. We ended up having to live with my grandparents. And my dad ended up working for my grandfather because there was no other jobs for him to have because uh, not joining the Communist Party. So it's either you do as we say, or you don't have anything to do here. That's why we left for opportunity. And I'm just grateful that I had family help to be able to leave Cuba and eventually end up in the United States. After years of waiting that included harassment, bribes, and even a few failed clandestine escape attempts, Fabio's family finally obtained an exit visa, but not to the United States. Some of my family originates from Spain. One of my grandfathers, he was born in Spain and he still had family there. He still had money there. He still had property there. So we were able to get the assistance of that family to get us out of Cuba to Spain. Because back in those days, the United States had an embargo against Cuba, and then Cuba would not let people freely leave to the United States. So we went to Spain. In the agreement, Spain would let us stay there on a temporary basis as long as we found exile somewhere else. We also had family in the United States who had left Cuba before that embargo had been placed. So they helped us to come from Spain. They petitioned the U.S. government for visas for us. It was eventually granted, so we went from Spain to the U.S. Escaping Cuba was just the first step in Fabio's journey. Despite having ties in Spain, Fabio's family could not stay there. One of the reasons we couldn't stay in Spain because Spain was not granting us either political asylum or residency. Their immigration policy at that time was not conducive for us coming there. So they allowed us to be there, a stepping stone to find asylum or find another country that would take us in permanently. Immigration policies changed depending on the politicians in power. So at that time, they were not bringing in Cubans here permanently. Looking at some of the history later on when I went back, 
several years later, a little bit older, it could have been that their unemployment rate was fairly high anyway. So they were not willing to bring in other people to just contribute to the unemployment. They needed people that produce. And at that time, we were just pretty much asking for help until we were able to stand up our own two feet. The U.S. immigration policy at the time allowed Cuban nationals to quickly be granted residency. I was uh, about a month shy of being nine when we came here. Uh, we, we arrived in August of 68, and a month later, I turned uh, nine years old. We landed in New York City. We were there for several hours trying to get our immigration status updated, which we were given a green card right away. And then finally, one of our aunts and her husband picked us up at the John F. Kennedy Airport and drove us to their home. The first thing I noticed was the cars here are so big. Seriously, I remember like the Ford Galaxy 500, the LTDs, and I was just mesmerized. Coming from Cuba, where everything from 1959, like all the cars just stopped coming in. So the newest car that they had in Cuba were 1959 American cars. And then later on, they started getting the Soviet block or the East block cars at the time. Living in Cuba as a kid was like a time warp when it came to new things. It really was. You were just stuck in this time warp. And they come to the United States and you see these homes, even in New York City. And you see these cars, just car after car, some even double parked, which is you know, it's like, to me, living in a semi-rural area in Cuba, and then you come to a big city, cars double parked because there's not enough parking spaces for them. It was just like, wow. I was just awestruck by the whole situation. First impressions can be impactful and long-lasting. Fabio compares what he experienced in Cuba and the U.S. related to obtaining one of the most basic needs, food. The other thing that I remember vividly as a kid in Cuba, everything was rationed. Milk was rationed, bread was everything. You had a little ration card. So when it was your turn to go to the grocery store, whether it was Tuesday or Thursday or whatever, you would go, you would present your ration card, you would get something. If they had it on the shelves, you would get it. If they didn't have it on the shelves, sorry, come back next week. But it didn't carry over. Your ration was just over. You just didn't get that food for that week. Then I remember my first supermarket in the United States in New York City was a Grand Union. And I went with one of my cousins and I just walked in and this is, it's like, for me, it was this huge warehouse of food that I had not seen before ever in my life. So that, that, that just showed me the abundance that we have here in this country because we've made it that way. As to where I came from, we made it the exact opposite. We made it a country of where needs are not met. It was just a big culture shock for me. Cada familia tenía una tarjeta de ración. Un día de, de la semana uno podía ir a comprar los víveres. Tenía, era leche, queso, lo que sea. Y, y tenían la ración y tú ibas a la tienda. Y si ese día no tenían lo que estaba en la, en la tarjeta tuya, pues no te lo daban. Pero no podías regresar la semana que viene para pedirlo otra vez porque ya, ya perdiste la oportunidad. Y había veces que uno veía cosas en, eh, que uno podía comprar, pero como no estaba en, en la tarjeta de ración, no se lo daban. Esa es parte de, de la manera que los comunistas quieren controlar todo lo que uno hace. Uh, era controlado por el Estado. Si, si el Estado no decía que te podías uh, tener algo, pues no podías tenerlo. También teníamos raciones para zapatos. Comer un par de zapatos cada seis meses si había el, el, la, la talla tuya. Y si no tenías la, la talla tuya, pues compraba uno más grande Y, y le echabas papel o otras cosas en, en la punta del, del zapato para que te sirviera. 
porque si no había tu talla, pues no podía, tenías que esperar seis meses más para, para otro par de zapatos. Había gente que ya los zapatos se destro, estaban destrozados y necesitaban un par de zapatos nuevos. Yo me acuerdo varias veces que la policía militar con, con, con la persona del comité venían por la casa a revisar a ver si tenías mucha ropa, pues te, te la quitaban porque solamente podías tener uh, tantos pantalones, tantas camisas y si tenías exceso, pues ellos se lo podían llevar para compartírselo a otras personas. Cuando llegué aquí en este país, estamos hablando de, de las tarjetas de raciones. Uh, la primera tienda que nosotros fuimos fue a un Grand Union en Nueva York. Y me acuerdo la cantidad de comida que había, que uno podía comprar sin tarjeta. El comunismo empezó en Cuba el mismo año que yo nací. Así que yo me, por los primeros ocho años, sé todo lo que yo sabía. Era la manera de, de, de los comunistas. Y llegando aquí a la tierra de libertad, eh, fue algo completamente distinto para mí. Fabio came to the U.S. during the end of the civil rights riots, Watergate, Vietnam, and Kent State. How might those and other similar events played out in Cuba? When I was in Cuba and seeing some of the, what I call atrocities for me at my level, I said, this, is, this doesn't seem right. People are in fear. You would see people not say things because they were afraid. Some of the things that people don't understand. Probably if you lived in 1939, 1940s Germany, you do, because, you know, that's what history says. But we had in our neighborhood something called the committee, el comité. And el comité, it was this lady and her family. They were the town snitches, pretty much what they were. They were staunch members of the Communist Party, and they would go around to make sure that you were in compliance. So it was a compliance force to make sure that you did what you're supposed to do. You did say what you're not supposed to say. There was no freedom. You really had zero, zero freedom. Right to assembly over there, forget it. You know, you go to jail if you're lucky or not get shot on the street. In this country, we have that option if you can protest. I mean, when we came in here in the 1960s, the civil rights riots were still going on in the Washington DC area and other places throughout the country. So we have that freedom here. In America, people can pretty much say what they want to say. I came in as a young child and watching the news about Vietnam and what was going on in the war in Vietnam, what the protesters were saying, even guys that were supposed to be drafted, they were protesting and they were not getting shot at on the streets. Very few, there was a few incidents that happened. Kent State, for example. But for the most part, people were able to go ahead and protest without fear of repercussions. You don't enjoy that in a communist country. You don't have that freedom. You don't have that rights. So as a young child, seeing these things, seeing the difference between what happens to protesters and rioters in Cuba versus what was happening here. Again, there, there's a couple of exceptions where things did escalate and got out of hand, where people lost their lives. But for the most part, protests were, were not detrimental to the protesters. It wasn't a fun time for the country, but at least the protesters, the majority of them lived to continue on and express your rights. So that resonated with me. I want to be in a country where you have the right to express your opinion. For many, expressing your opinion also includes religion, which Fabio recalls was difficult to do in Cuba. I remember as a kid in Cuba going to church. It was an obstacle because at the same time we had church, what I call the armed Boy Scouts of Cuba, which we call the Young Pioneers. It was a young group of kids that had special uniforms. They looked like Boy Scout uniforms. They would play in the same playground outside of the church and make fun of us as we went to church. 
they would scream and holler and play while the priest is trying to conduct mass. I remember those obstacles as a kid trying to get to church with my mom. And even though we encountered obstacles, my mom still took us to church. When you came to the U.S., did you speak any English? Absolutely not. And that was, uh, that was another culture shock when I would hear people speak English. And I was like, I had no idea that we were talking about. We left about three or four months into the third grade. Went to Spain. So I lost that entire school year of the third grade. So I never finished the third grade. When I came to the U.S., we didn't speak any English and stuff. So we had family help. How did you pick up English? I think... I learned probably more English from going outside and playing with friends than I did in school because we lived in an apartment complex. It was very small. There was nothing to do. I think we had one black and white TV with three channels on it, and I was the remote control. So whatever something had to be changed, I had to get up and change the channel. But my family didn't watch that much. I was come home from school, do homework, go out and play until it was dark. That was my routine every day. A lot of the people in the neighborhood, they didn't speak Spanish. A lot of the kids were American kids. I learned a lot of English from them. Sometimes not very nice English, but I learned it anyway. And then I fine-tuned it in school. That was definitely mm-hmm. a culture shock. I think the only word I could say when I came in this country, I remember, was water. That was it. Fabio describes how even breakfast seemed strange to him. He also comments on his father's reaction to the concept of an allowance. Era abrir los ojos a una cultura completamente distinta. Uno está acostumbrado a la manera que, que, que los cubanos hacen las cosas. Por ejemplo, el desayuno. La manera que nosotros decíamos era café con leche y con pan. Y yo me acuerdo varias veces que fui a casa de unos amigos míos a desayunar y tenían huevo y tocino y pancakes. Yo dije, wow, esto, esto es algo completamente distinto para mí. De niño, mis padres me, me pedían, hey, haz esto, haz lo otro. Ok, este uno lo hacía. Y me di cuenta que en, este, en los Estados Unidos, cuando los niños hacían algo en las casas, los padres le daban dinero. <ríe> Tenían un allowance. Yo nunca había oído eso en mi vida. Y la, yo me acuerdo la primera vez <ríe> que yo le pedía a papi <ríe> el allowance mío. Y me dio una mirada, no me dijo nada, solamente me miró. Como esa, ah. <ríe> Fue la última vez que le pregunté. <ríe> A mí nunca me dieron allowance. El allowance mío fue de poder comer y vivir en la casa de mis padres. In my life, I've met people from all over the world. I found that many strive to sound native and lose their accents. I asked Fabio about his perspective on whether having an accent mattered. There's some people that, I guess you could say, very observant of their accent and they work on it. But I think they mitigate that by their knowledge, by their expertise. So when you're dealing with somebody that their English is not so great because of the accent, but then they prove themselves through what they actually accomplish, or when you look at their writing and their language is totally different. They write extremely well, but read their writings, they're very articulate. Their knowledge base is phenomenal. My suggestion to them is, if you want to look at that as a handicap, that's fine. So how do you mitigate the handicap? By strengthening other areas of your life besides your accent. If you strengthen those other areas, the accent becomes non-existent to the people around you. You still be self-conscious of it, but to other people, it's, it, it doesn't really matter. That's been from my observations. 
Yo creo que hoy no es tan importante. Lo importante es hablar el, el idioma inglés y poder escribirlo y poder leerlo bien. You mentioned the big cars in the grocery store. What else really stuck out in your mind as being different? When I went to elementary school, I didn't realize that there's such a thing as a cafeteria in school. Lunch was like 50, 60 cents back in those days. I think it was two or three cents for a little thing of milk. You paid cash. To be going to there, you see all this abundance of food that you didn't have that in Cuba. We didn't have a cafeteria in our school. Went to school and brought something to eat, and then that was it. That was a culture shock. The other one was, I remember meeting some of the kids, and they would bring me to their house. And to me, they lived in mansions. They're like really nice homes. Now it's just a standard house. Back in those days when you grew up with nothing and you see somebody's homes, it's like, wow, this is amazing. So that was another culture shock, just the size of the homes and how nice they were on the inside. Abi arrived with his parents and older sister. His mother was expecting. Luckily, Fabio's family was granted residency and the ability to work legally. It was a stressful time for his parents. They all shared a two-bedroom apartment with his uncle, aunt, who was also expecting, and two cousins of similar age. Like many immigrants, Fabio's dad's professional title and experience did not transfer. As a result, he had to take whatever work was available. When we came here, my dad had a couple of jobs, so he didn't have a lot of time to take us around different places. My dad had to work. Some of my friends, they were traveling, going this or going to different games, and I didn't have that flexibility because we couldn't afford it. When you're a child, that's something that you see all your friends doing some things and you can't because you can't afford it or you just don't have the transportation to do it. What do you think you learned from those early experiences? That I can live without a lot of material things that are just not necessary. They're nice to have. I live my life that way. I'm fairly frugal and I don't like to... Uh, overspend on things that just to me has no long-term value. I like to do things more long-term, long-term security, do things in the long run, not just necessarily today. Where do you think that comes from? I think it has to do with uh, the way that I grew up and what I saw. What really is necessary for you to survive and provide for your family? If you really pay attention to the entertainment industry, everything is new, everything is flashy, you want to show off. Unfortunately, you, you see that in our society is very prevalent, and that's why we have such a huge problem with debt, credit card debt in this country, because you want to buy the newest thing just because you want to be one up in your neighbor. I'm not that way because I know what it's like to not have anything. So when you have something, you want to cherish it, you want to value it, you want to preserve it, and you want to go ahead and prepare yourself for the future. I'm not one of these guys that likes to just have everything that's brand new just for the sake of having something that's brand new. Through his teenage years, communism remained in the back of Pagu's mind. I knew in my heart that I would not want to live in a, in a situation where we had zero rights. And that was always in the back of my mind. And I think that's one of the reasons when at 17, when I was graduating high school, I decided I wanted to join the military. I wanted to pay back this country for everything that it has provided for us. And I wanted to make myself available to continue to fight for freedom, the freedom that I have in this country. Fabio's decision to give back to the country that had given him and his family so much resulted in a military career of 20 years and made a long-lasting impact. Back when I joined, it was very regimented. 
But what it did is still in me as a good work ethic. It had to be the right place, the right time, the right uniform, the right attitude. I carry that to this day. I'm always on time. I have the right uniform, the right place, right time, right attitude. And that's what I bring to work every day. So my work ethic was molded by the military, in my opinion. And it, a lot of the beliefs that I held in the military is for love of God, love of country. I still carry those throughout, and I hope to do so for the rest of my life. Uh, me abrió los ojos a la manera, porque en el ejército, yo, donde yo viví era de niño, solamente de personas de esa área. No se veía cómo el resto del país funcionaba. Y, y en el ejército hay personas de todos los estados en Estados Unidos. Y uno se, la, la, tiene la oportunidad de hablar con personas de, de distintas. Even en este país hay varias culturas, no solamente una. Uh, así que me dio la oportunidad de, de asociar con otras personas de, de varias culturas de, oh, de, de la ciudad, del campo, de las montañas, de las islas, de, de todos los distintos lugares. Así que no fue tan difícil porque en esa, en esa edad uno, todo el mundo quiere conocerse uno al otro. Yo tenía 17 años de edad, la mayoría de los soldados que yo al principio tenían entre 17 y 20 años de edad. Uh, y todos quieren hacer amigos, todos quieren uh, uh, entenderse uno a los otros. Así que fue algo muy interesante para mí. Me dio la oportunidad de, de, de conocer varias personas de varias partes del país, uh, uh, ver de donde yo no quería vivir. <ríe> y, pero no, fue, fue, fue muy interesante y uh, sí, fue una oportunidad muy, muy buena. Fabio's views on finance seem to have been shaped by experiencing firsthand the struggles that an immigrant family faces. He watched his father work hard to provide for his family, sometimes holding two or three jobs at a time. His father eventually ended up working the night shift at a local grocery store, which was a good job at the time with benefits that created stable income. Seeing his father's work ethic and sacrifice, doing what needed to be done to provide for his family, influenced Fabio's approach to work. He retired from the U.S. military after 20 years, then became an entrepreneur investing in and running a franchise business. Later, he retooled himself again to start a new chapter in his career in the pharmaceutical industry. Now, Fabio supervises a team of eight to produce solutions that feed and purify prescription drugs. I was curious to find out how someone is able to remake themselves professionally with such ease. A lot of it has to do with necessity. For example, when I was getting ready to retire from the military, about probably two years prior to that, I started looking at what do I want to do when I grow up? I could have stayed for another 10 years in the military, but I looked at the reality. Retiring at 38, I still had enough working life left in me where I was employable in another industry. If I would have stayed until I was 48, it's a little bit more difficult. That's the reality of life. People do look at age when they hire you, depending on what the job is. So I made a conscious decision to leave after 20 years because I wanted to be able to be employable in the future. I went to military right after high school. I didn't have a college degree. Throughout my military career, I was taking college courses nights and weekends. And in my last two years here, I really focused on, on getting a business management degree. I did that before I retired. And then before I retired, I started looking at you know, what do I want to do. So then I started looking at different options and I tried a couple of different things after I retired. One after just about four months, I realized this is not what I want to do. I started something else and I realized this is not what I want to do after a few months. Then I had the opportunity to 
buy a couple of franchises and I kept them for about 18 years. And then I realized the same thing after certain years, I said, is this what I want to do the rest of my life? And I realized that it was not. I, I did five with them. And then I decided, like you said, to retool. And uh, so I started focusing, say, where do I want to be? And I wanted to stay in the area where I currently live. I said, okay, what industries are available around here that will be a good fit for me? The society doing some research. Then I found pharmaceuticals. I went back to school and made myself, I guess, viable for that industry. I started applying and I had 21 rejections before somebody finally decided to give me a chance. I've been doing it ever since. I've worked my way up from just being just a regular associate all the way up to being a manufacturing supervisor in less than five years. I think a lot of people would say it's scary trying something new and failing or rejection. What would you say to those people that say that that's scary? Oh, it's extremely scary. We all have a really high sense of self-worth. Most people do. Put in your effort, you do your resume, you go through your training, you send your application, and you say to yourself, I know they're going to call me because I'm the best candidate out there. And then the first time you get a letter of rejection, just a general <laughs> form letter from a company, it's probably a computer, they don't even know you. And you're like, oh, it's heartbreaking. I guess human nature would be like to give up, but you don't. You keep going and going. And eventually you really get a thick skin, you get a hard shell, and then you just continue to drive on. Since in the pharmaceutical industry, I've worked, I started with one company, went to another one, went to another one, and went to another one. And if you think it's scary, when you're in your 20s and 30s, wait till you're doing anything in your 50s and your 60s. And then now you're competing against all kinds of different people and a lot younger people. Whether age discrimination occurs in the workforce or not, I'll leave that up to you to decide. I just think it's human nature. When you're comparing people, you're looking at all the different discriminators that you can use to, to make a good hiring decision. Sometimes people my age bring something to the table that young people don't and vice versa. It's scary, yes, but... You never know until you try. My last job change was in my 60s, and I'm still doing it. Do you think that being an immigrant or having that experience of coming to this country, not knowing English, not really having anything, do you think that's helped you deal with making changes in your life? I think what it's done for me, again, going back to my culture, the way that I was raised, things that I saw, it's helped me to always focus on my end goal, my desired end state and then figure out how to get there. That's how I tackle a situation. You know, Where do I want to be when this is over? How do I define success? Once I've defined success, then the next step is like, how do I get there? And I equate that to what my dad did for us. He knew that we could not stay in Cuba. And for him, success was coming to the United States, and he figured it out. Something that I learned from him, from my observation of him. He said, where do I want to be, and how am I going to get there? So yeah, you could say that definitely has helped me. If, if you could go back in time, what would you tell your younger self and when? I would go back to high school. I was not always the best student. I would say uh, stay in school, stay focused in high school, learn. I still would have joined the military, but I would have said go to college, get an ROTC scholarship, and join the military as a military officer instead of enlisted. Yo fuera de bachillerato en high school, le, me hubiese dicho, mira, no juegues tanto y estudia más. Después de, después de high school, ve a la universidad y después entra al ejército como un oficial. 
uh, eso es lo que yo hiciera distinto en, en mi vida. La verdad es que yo no me apliqué bien a, a, a los estudios hasta que yo estuve en la universidad y empecé a pagarla. <laughs> Entonces dice, bueno, como tengo que pagar esto, pues tengo que aprender algo. What tips can you share with someone who is going through the transition from one culture to another? I say just prepare yourselves, understand the culture in this country. You're always going to have your own culture in the background, but you need to adapt to what happens here, how things are done here. Understand work ethic, understand punctuality. I remember working in Central and South American countries where we used to call it mañana time. Because if you make an appointment with somebody at 10 o'clock, they might be there at 2 o'clock in the afternoon uh, because there's no sense of urgency. We have that kind of sense of urgency here. We're very punctual. Nosotros llegamos aquí en el 68. No, no había los programas como hay hoy. Por ejemplo, yo veo ahora que uno puede sacar la licencia de conducir uh, y el examen se hace o en, en español o en inglés o varios otros idiomas. En ese tiempo todo era en inglés. Uh, si uno iba a una oficina para hacer algo, uh, hoy hay siempre alguien que habla otro idioma. En ese tiempo, si tú tenías que hablar español, tenías que traer a alguien que te uh, hablara por ti. En ese tiempo fue muy, muy importante hablar inglés. Uh, yo creo que hoy es igual porque los negocios son en inglés. Hay varias cosas que uno puede hacer en dos idiomas, pero si uno quiere trabajar en este país y hacer algo, uh, un buen trabajo, tiene que, tiene que tener el idioma. Si no tiene el idioma, pues uno está limitado a lo que uno puede hacer en, en las carreras y en los trabajos. Porque el idioma aquí uh, uh, en los negocios es el, el idioma de inglés. In Spanish, Fabio explains how switching between Cuban and American culture and language was like switching a light. Pues, uh, cuando uno es joven, la, la mente está un poco más abierta y yo pude uh, transicionar de, de, de la cultura americana a la cultura cubana uh, fácilmente. Uh, en la casa tenía la cultura cubana, pero eh, afuera de la casa tenía la, la cultura americana Y para mí la transición no fue tan uh, difícil como otras personas que vienen aquí a, a, a edades más mayores. Como ya vienen aquí de adultos, vienen con hijos, uh, vienen de profesionales. Uh, Era como encender y apagar una luz. <risa> Salir de la casa, se hablaba inglés. Uh, ir a la escuela, uh, todo en inglés, 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 inglés. Y entonces cuando venía a la casa, todo en español. Uh, Talk to me about Cuban food. What are some of your favorites? Oh, my goodness, so many. For example, some of the things that I miss as a kid is uh, arroz con pollo, la manera que mami la, lo hacía. That's chicken and rice, the way my mom used to make it. Picadillo, which is ground beef, the way my mom used to make it with rice. One of the staples is black beans, rice, and pork roast with yuca. Something that I have never been able to make is mojo which is olive oil and garlic and salt concoction, for lack of a better word, that you would put over yuca. Those are some of my favorite Cuban foods. I asked Fabio what music brings him a sense of nostalgia for his homeland. One of the ones that I remember is Guantanamera. I like that one. This one called Guajira El Son Te Llama, which is an old Cuban song. It's really nice. I can't remember the title of it. It's by Orlando Contreras. It talks about, it's a Spanish version of Honey. It talks about life in Cuba when you're young. There are several different songs that, without having to pick a favorite, that just bring you back. I just sometimes just like to listen to the music. 
What else would you like to share? One of the things that I wanted to say is, and I can't really say this enough, is I speak for myself and probably for a lot of people in my family. We're so grateful that the United States took the chance, gave us the opportunity to come here. They didn't have to. They could have said, no, thank you. You can go somewhere else. But I'm very grateful and I'm very patriotic because of that. Sometimes it hurts me when I see so many people in our society that are welcoming socialism. I don't think they realize the freedoms they're trying to give up here. The problems that we have in this country, I can't tell you another place where I want to live. I tell people all the time, if America is so bad, why do we have so many thousands of people that are trying to come here, either legally or illegally? It can't be that bad if you have more people trying to come in than people trying to get out. Because if this place was this bad, and some people say it is, we have open borders, you can leave anytime you want to. And a lot of people choose to stay and even come here. From what I saw in my childhood to what I see here, I'm very grateful to the United States for giving us the opportunity. I love our country, and I hope that we will continue on the right path, the path to true freedoms that are God-given freedoms. And we need to stop, in my opinion, all of these things that, that prevent us from giving us the choices to do what we feel is right for ourselves and for our family without fear of being ridiculed or persecuted because we have a difference of opinions as to what is normal in the culture today. Aprecio mucho lo que este país me ha hecho por, por mi familia y por mí. Uh, nos dio la oportunidad de venir a este país y en ese tiempo no había tantos programas para ayudar a los inmigrantes. Uh, la oportunidad es, tú tienes la oportunidad de venir a este país y hacer algo para, para ustedes, para su familia o no. Y menos mal que los Estados Unidos nos dio la oportunidad de venir aquí. Nos dio la libertad de hacer lo que podemos hacer, lo que queremos hacer. Y con eso mis, uh, mis padres tuvo una buena vida. Trabajó mucho, pero por ejemplo, él pudo uh, darle a, a sus hijos y a su esposa uh, todo lo que necesitábamos y varias cosas que queríamos. Uh, y yo aprendí de que por la necesidad, yo aprendí de hacer todo lo que yo puedo hacer para uh, darle lo que mi familia necesita, lo que yo necesito. Y por eso estoy muy agradecido que tuvimos la oportunidad de venir aquí y aprender, ser educado y poder encontrar trabajo para uh, poder sostenernos la, la vida de, que nosotros queremos. Are there any things that you do on a daily basis that you think other people might benefit from? Have your conviction, stand by those convictions, and whatever is going to happen is going to happen. But don't back down from things that you really strongly believe in. And there's many times that I've prayed and I said, this is what I'm being asked to do, but I don't think it's right. And I decided after prayer and after thought and after discussion with family and friends and loved ones, no, I'm not going to do that. And it's always turned out good so far. What are the things that I, on a daily basis, do? And I think I learned this more from my mom than anybody else. I pray every day, and I thank God every day for what he has provided for my family and I, and I'm grateful for everything that he's done, and he continues to do for me. You want to summarize that in Spanish? Sure. Una de las cosas que yo hago todos los días, en preparándome para el día o, o, o las ocasiones que van a ocurrir, es yo rezo. 
Yo me acuerdo mucho que mi mamá siempre rezaba por sus hijos uh, y varias veces en el trabajo que me han preguntado que, que haga algo que yo sé o que yo pienso en mi corazón uh, que no es moral o, o no es justo. He rezado sobre esas situaciones y no lo he hecho. Y yo estaba preparado para perder el trabajo. Y ha pasado varias veces, pero uh, me importaba mucho, pero yo sabía que era, era el curso bueno para to, uno tomar. Y no lo hice, y aunque yo esperaba perder el trabajo, no ocurrió. Uh, menos mal, sigo trabajando. Lo que yo aprendí es que una de la, cuando uno piensa algo bien o tiene en el corazón que algo es justo, Uh, uno no, no debe seguir la injusticia solamente porque todo el mundo lo está haciendo. Uh, si uno cree en Dios, uno cree en, en lo que es el derecho de, de, de uno hacer su propia cosa, pues uno debe uh, hacer eso. Y no solamente hacer todo porque todo el mundo lo está haciendo, o te dice, uh, tú debes hacer esto. No, si, si no está bien, no está bien. El, el consejo que uno puede tener es, primero es, tiene que aprender el idioma. Y después que aprendas el idioma, uh, prepárese en, uh, en los estudios. Hay varias uh, clases que uno puede tomar para hacer el trabajo que hago yo. Uh, y después de eso, pues, trata de conocer a alguien que trabaja en, es, en, en la carrera que uno quiere, en la industri industria que uno quiere uh, entrar. Uh, pregúntale, ¿cómo puedo yo entrar a este trabajo? ¿Me puedes ayudar? Dame un contacto. Uh, contacta con personas que están en ese tipo de industria y después empieza a mandar sus aplicaciones a ver si uh, dan la entrevista. Después que le dan la entrevista, uh, prepárase para la entrevista. Uh, aprende todo lo que uno puede de esa compañía. ¿Qué hace la compañía? Uh, pre prepárate para preguntarles preguntas. Por ejemplo, si usted me da el trabajo, el primer día que ven, entro yo, ¿cuáles son sus expectaciones? ¿Qué, ¿Qué espera usted que yo haga? Dime el horario normal, diariamente, ¿qué es lo, qué es lo que se hace ahí? Prepárate para la entrevista, que ya tú sabes algo de la compañía, <coughs> algo de lo que la, tú debes estar haciendo, y también... Tienes que decirle por qué tú eres la persona que tiene que tener ese trabajo. ¿Qué le, qué le traes tú a, a la compañía para hacer el trabajo? As we wrap up our conversation, Avio offers his opinion on how to live life. Try to live an honest life. I've made more than my fair share of mistakes, but everything that we do brings you to where you are. I'm a different man in my 60s and I was in my 20s and I was in my 30s, etc., etc. Have a strong faith in God and trust yourself. Whenever you're in trouble, ask for the guidance of God and then get with your close family and friends and ask for advice. But remember that the ultimate decision for your life and for your salvation is yours and yours alone. 
Anything else you'd like to share? Just appreciate the opportunity to let you know a little bit about me. And hopefully some people will be able to take away that. You can come here to this country with nothing. This is still the land of opportunity and you can make something of yourself. Just always remember, you know, why you're doing it. Don't be selfish. Always be willing to help other people. I've been helped through my career, through my life. So every time that I have an opportunity to help somebody, I do. Even in the beginning, you can always help other people. I really strongly believe that we all can be successful at whatever level we're in. Like many immigrants whom I have met, Fabio is grateful for the opportunities the United States has offered him. In some ways, Fabio has lived the American dream several times over, reinventing himself throughout his multiple careers. I find that many immigrants take a similar non-linear path through life. Maybe it's because of different perspectives, necessity, or some combination of these or other factors. Regardless of the reason or reasons, I'm fascinated by the journey and the stories along the way. I'm your host, Santiago. To learn more about this podcast, visit www.immigrantsjourneys.fm. I'll leave you with one of Fabio's favorite songs, El Son Te Llama, performed by the Orquesta Tabaco y Rum. Que ellos tenían en Cuba no, no pudieron usarlo aquí.